The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. All right. I never was a soccer guy. I'm just going to flat out say that. Grew up, wasn't into soccer until age 12. That's when, like, I, it, you couldn't deny it anymore. All the, all the kids my age were playing soccer in addition to Little League baseball and basketball and Pop Warner football and all that stuff. But, like, soccer started to become a thing out in Los Angeles, which is where I grew up. Um, and at that point, uh, my parents were like, well, do you want to try? I was like, I don't even know the rules. So I had to, like, get a rule book, read the rule book, learn offsides, heading, throwing in, you know, don't use your hands. Uh, don't, don't punch somebody in the face, what, all that stuff, kick the ball in the net. You get it. So I started playing soccer third game of the season. I, I, I tried to slide tackle a guy because I was trying, I was going for the ball. It was like a legit move, very aggressive, but it was legit. The guy's name was Vito and I'm not kidding you. And I, by the way, that's Minnesota United's goalie right now. His name's Vito. Um, different veto, unless, unless it's the same veto, dude, that would be a, that'd be a trip. I don't think it's the same veto. I slide tackled this guy. Um, and, and then I was, so then I was down and as I'm getting back up, I'm on my, on my, on my all fours, I'm on my knees, I'm on my hands. And as I'm getting up some other dude, it wasn't veto, I don't think, but if somebody lands on top of me. And all of a sudden I hear, like, you know, that first time you break a bone, it's just, it's just awful. It's so scary. And, um, and I snapped my radius and my ulna, which is basically your, like, arm bones right by your wrist. Just snapped them in half. My, and my hand's just dangling. I'm, like, I'm doing 360s breakdancing, the best I've ever breakdanced in my life, by the way. Um, and as big as the soccer field is, you know, it's a huge. A pitch is huge. It happened right in front of my parents. So it was like immediate, like, you're okay. You're okay, son. Um, but with that said, never played soccer again. And checked out from that point on until um, I moved here. And I started covering soccer uh, for CARE 11 with, uh, with, with Min- all, the, all the incarnations of soccer that have been here. Um, and, and, yeah, there have been a lot from the Thunder to the Stars to, to the now uh, Minnesota United, which brings us to random ranks. All right. I, I want to rank the worst soccer names out there. Team names, that, that is. Okay, this is the worst 11, in my opinion, of course, all these are my opinion, very subjective. Um, number 11, Tulsa Roughnecks. Uh-huh. D- I don't need to go any further. Number 10, and these are bad. I don't even have to justify why these are on my list. Number 10, Columbus Crew. Hey, okay. Um, number nine, the Indy 11. Number eight, the Houston Dynamo. Uh-huh. These are awful. Number seven, Baltimore Bohemians. These are legit. These are legit names. Uh, number six, the Fresno Fuego. Google it. it it's a thing. Um, number five, the New York Red Bulls. Really? Taking on the Philadelphia Fanta, or what? Are you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you going? Where are you going with that? The Hawaiian Punch? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Number four, the LA Galaxy. They're not just. They're not just like. It's the entire. Like, think about how big the galaxy is for a sec. What are you doing, LA Galaxy? What kind of? A, what are you? What are you going for? Like, who are you? Are you just trying to reach all creatures? 
Um, number three, and this is where it really gets bad. Okay, this is where I just I'm I'm scratch my head at these meetings. Like what what? Wh- okay, let's all get in a room and really like try to like come up with the best team name. And this is what they come up with: the Richmond Kickers for a soccer team. <laughs> okay, what if we go? Okay, just just hear me out. What if we go with kickers? Like, no, seriously, because get it? Because like in soccer, you're you're kicking. Hey, Minnesota Kicks wasn't much better, but I'm but the Richmond Kickers I'm ranking on the list. Number two, the Springfield Demise. This is the legitimate team name, I swear to you. And number one, uh, the all-time worst names, the San Diego Soccers. And the worst part about the San Diego Soccers for a team nickname is that Soccers is spelled S-O-C-K-E-R-S. So they're like, are they trying to like sock it to you or what are they? <laughs> so back to soccer. Um, NBC eventually got like the English Premier League. And, and that's when I decided that was just, uh, you know, a handful of years ago. And that's when I decided, okay, I have to have a favorite team. So I picked Fulham. Fulham became my favorite uh, English Premier League team. A year later, after I started rooting for them and like started buy into the whole thing. Uh, they got relegated, which means if you suck bad enough, you get put down into the lower league. And that's exactly what happened to them. And so then I'm like, screw it. I'm going to stay with Fulham. I'm going to stay a loyal fan. Uh, And eventually they won the next league, uh, the lower league, and came back up. They got unrelegated or whatever that is. And 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 then so then I'm all in again. My loyalty paid off. Screw all you people that, that doubted. And then they, got, they just got relegated again. So I don't have a team. But I actually do have a team, and that's the Minnesota United. Oh, you can't say the Minnesota United, by the way. It's just Minnesota United. Forgive me. Uh, Minnesota United FC, if you want to get technical. And the man who is the sporting director for that team has been the man that has sort of been intertwined with all the previous incarnations of Minnesota pro sports soccer teams. And this guy is Minnesota soccer, if you ask me. His dad, Buzz Lagos, set the table, and Manny Lagos has carried the torch and has done an amazing job. And I should mention this interview took place a couple months ago. Here now, the man, Manny Lagos. Perk Find out what he'll say. Perk Sometimes he's aptly. Perk Who's coming on today? Perk Alright, again, shout out to Taylor Baggett for that opening jingle. Just he, he wrote it too, by the way, which is just awesome. All right, Mr. Lagos, how are you, sir? Good, good. Um, uh, enjoying the summer, enjoying uh, you know the story we're telling this year, both on and off the field. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, enjoying the 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 presence and and the. Um, excitement that Allianz Field has generated in this market. You, you are all about the loons, for sure. <laughs> and, and we should mention that, that uh, I know this is, a, this is one of those non-visual mediums, but you've got a nice scruff going on right now. I don't, is this like a playoff beard you're working on or not? No, okay, actually, no. this is a in-between game beard. Okay. So literally, I'll, I'll shave tomorrow well, yeah. when our next game comes, yeah. the, the beard comes off. So no, this is just... Um, you're busy. Uh, if we're going to go deep, this right. is 
this is the way my wife likes it. Okay. And then I shave in my real world. Say game no day. more. Yeah, that's it. Let's move on that from there. That speaks volumes. <laughs> By the way, Lagos means lakes in Spanish. It does. And yeah. ironically, my family ended up in Minnesota. So right. There the, you go. The land yeah. of 10,000 Lagos. Yeah. <laughs> and, and speaking of which, you come from a big family. Am I right? I do. I do. I am the youngest of eight. Four brothers, three sisters. So, um, yeah, uh, lots of lots of family, lots of nieces and nephews. Uh, I have two boys myself. Uh, they're teenagers. Uh, you know, one goes to De La Salle, the other one goes to Blake. And good kids, uh, yeah, yeah, good kids. But you know, teenage kids teenagers. are teenage kids. Yeah, but good kids, good kids. And uh, I have a lovely wife, Amy, who um, you know is from New Mexico. We met in New York City. We lived in California. We lived in Chicago. And I was lucky enough to kind of convince her that uh, Minnesota was, you know, somewhat just as cool as those places. And uh, so we've enjoyed it here. I was going to say, you have bounced around, and we're going to get to that in a sec. So, But as the youngest of eight, I kind of want to get into that. Yeah. Like being the baby. I mean, was were you just kind of just running roughshod, getting your way, doing whatever you want? Were you the? It was uh, surreal. I mean, again, if, if we're going deep into to Minnesota kind of sports folklore, I grew up about a mile from Allianz Field in two different neighborhoods early on days was near Central High School. And so we had, you know, an amazing kind of group of, of people like Dave Winfield and, and some really good St. Paul Minutemen at the time from Central that were great basketball players. And, and then we had a little soccer field next to our, our place there, there where we had a, a, both a soccer field and basketball court. And our house is almost like this sports hub of, of playing soccer or basketball all day. Um, and then you combine that with me looking up to all my older brothers and sisters, it, it was a, a, a great place for me to fall in love with sports because I just had so many people to look up to, and then I had so many environments where I could play all day, and uh, that's kind of what I did. Just isn't that great? sports all day. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, yeah. even And probably even in the winter. Yeah, no, it was it, literally, I, I it's, it's funny, I love Minnesota to the bone, but I don't play uh, hockey, and and I, I I play basketball in the winter. I play soccer in the summer, which at, back then was maybe a little bit more uh, the opposite. You know, I think a lot of people were more f- football, baseball, and uh, hockey. So, um, but I loved it. You know, and I, I think about um, I actually think we're evolving back to that a little bit. I, I've I've noticed as a parent now. Uh, it, there was a time where I don't think they allowed their kids to maybe go out and play all day. I'm I'm hopeful that that's shifting again now, where they're kind of recognizing the independence of these kids, just the value of going out and learning how to play and have fun and, and compete, by the way, uh, against people within their neighborhood, I think is going to be a big asset for, for Minnesotans uh, to maybe start to, to have new generations of, of successful athletes. That would be so fantastic, right? Yeah. And, and as a father myself, to, to just even get them off the screens, I think, is a win. I, mean, I, I think so, too. And I, I think... Um, I think is you'd be surprised at how resilient and how much kids do want to have interaction and want to compete and and learn through through playing and through actually sometimes losing, which is another area that I think we're going to start to shift again to understand that there's nothing wrong with with kids as they grow up learning to compete and lose is the best way to think about how you're going to win in the future. As 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 a having a father like Buzz Lagos, uh, you were obviously so. I would imagine immersed in the, in that game of soccer. Oh, unbelievable! And, and what's cool, looking back, you know, he grew up in Patterson, New Jersey, mm-hmm. mostly baseball and basketball. Went to Providence, played on the freshman college basketball team before he uh, he decided to concentrate more on his studies. And you know, his love of soccer came later in life. And Interesting. I, and I think, in a weird way, it it allowed it to become an obsession because it needed to for him to kind of almost catch up 
to really learn and, and, and love the sport and become the coach he is, he, he really had to absorb everything. And, and really, he also kind of trickled that down to us. You know, one of my favorite stories I tell people is um, in the mid 80s, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of soccer on TV and um, only certain satellites would get all these big European games. I just remember, and this is back when you could smoke in bars and they're yeah. crowded and like it was kind of looked upon you if you're bringing little kids into bars as maybe not the most appropriate thing. But his love of soccer and being like, I want to watch this game. I want my kids to watch it. I remember one time, not one time, many times going to Tiffany's over by Highland Grill who had a great satellite to watch all these European games. Funny. And just that looking back now, I get it. That was his way of, of a, he needed to absorb the sport not only as a, learning as a coach or coaching at the high school or then the Thunder, but also just like any other way, any way he possible to become better. Um, and I can never not bring up uh, my father, not just, just for me, but the, the observing his love and passion for the sport, but also his love and passion for the community and then trying to combine the two. And what I mean by that, you know, he, he started the uh, a lot of the rec programs in the Twin Cities, a lot of boys and girls rec programs. And he fought to say, hey, we need just as many girls programs for soccer as boys to grow because both sides of the, of the sport are going to grow. He could really recognize at an early age. Yeah, he got that, it. That that there was going to be a, a revolution, I think, in terms of, of women's soccer as well. And I, I never really realized it until now when I start talking to people how, like, it, it really did start with him, not necessarily the sport, but recognizing the Twin Cities as a community and the possibilities of of embracing at that time a sport that felt a little foreign to, to a lot of people in this country. Don't you think, you mentioned him being obsessed with the sport, don't you think that soccer, as much as any, it is one of those sports where you can really go down a deep hole, like in a good way? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I, I would say, you know, once you start to see it, the chess match on the field, and then the chess match is actually also a mental, physical battle, and then there's this crazy tactical chess match that goes on between the coaches and then there's this um you know kind of management of, of these young athletic uh, uh players it is it's unbelievable you know it really you know it, it's hard for me not to start to watch a game even if it's not the most exciting game or the most high scoring game just because of of the acknowledgement of to win that chess match sometimes it's a little pawn that'll do it or it's it's just the the smallest details do it and it reminds me sometimes in a weird way of a baseball game where when you do the deep dive into stats and you deep do the deep dive into positioning, you start to do the deep dive into like all these little things that maybe will make the difference to, to win that day. Um, and then you're hooked. And then you start to now add in, I think, the flow of the game and, and how for 45 minutes you have this kind of built up momentum of, of, of potential chances at goal or potential having to defend the key moments where you if you don't let the other team score – you have a better chance to win the game that day. So all those things that um, I think we're still building into being kind of part of this culture, we're still not quite there yet. We're still kind of, I think, in the infancy of our our fan base, really understanding, you know, both the awesomeness of it, but actually in a weird way, the, the critical side that maybe we need a little bit more of so the club and the fans can push us to become even better uh, a part of this big global sport. Doesn't that drive you crazy then? When there's this blanket sort of ignorance about soccer and that you've probably heard so much throughout the course of your life uh, 
oh, it's not, it's boring. It's like, oh, the score is one nothing. There's not <laughs> enough. I mean, we're like, how do you deal with all that? Do you just roll your eyes at this point? Well, again, I, I'm, I'm going to tap into my father who just every day said, I'm going to keep going. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep emailing the sports editors. I'm going to keep the newscasters and saying, hey, this sport is coming. It's evolving. You're going to fall in love with this once you start to see the excitement, the, the, the energy. Um, and, and really, for me, that's why it's such a nice moment to talk about soccer when you have Allianz Field that just kind of brings out everything. It's it's like the, the perfect storm of you've got this amazing fan base. You've got, I think, a great product with MLS now really putting a great product in the field. And then you've got some pride here in the Twin Cities that that we have these these all these amazing sport teams, amazing stadiums. You know, I, I think there's a to me a much healthier expectation now of the, of the teams winning because of these stadiums. And there's a lot of pressure on the clubs. I mean, just like the Vikings have pressure and the Twins and the Timberwolves, we, we've all renovated our stadiums or built new stadiums. And to me, that's healthy. That means that our fan base is evolving and growing. And and for the soccer fan, I'm a little more patient. I, I, it is hard. It's hard when. It's not talked about every day, like all over the world. It's it's hard when y- your casual fan doesn't get, you know, a four hour an- analyst after a game about what went right, what went wrong, you know, how the game went. They kind of only get snapshots of it. So to me, I, I just got to be more patient, you know. And I hope our audiences in the Twin Cities and and the the the, the media outlets we have, our fans will gravitate towards that. They'll they'll start to be more immersed, you know, twenty four hours a day in the game. In I terms think of, so. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think now that they have the forum, and now that now that you have this amazing palace to kind of showcase it, it 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 does become so experiential. Like you 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 learn to love the game if you just watch a game and really watch it, right? Yeah. And especially in that atmosphere that yeah. you that you've kind of fostered over there. Yeah, I mean, I I think when you look at this season and you you think about the special games, um, it's already easy to say the opening game because that's an opening game, opening stadium. And, then, and you kind of think about our first win because that's the tension field of us tying the first couple games there. But without a doubt, for me, the very best game this year was the game against San Jose in which two teams right in the playoff line, um, our fans knew it. San Jose knew it in the way they brought the energy that day. Our players knew it in that we didn't necessarily play our best game. We, we, we were under, you know, the pressure for long periods of the game. But what happened is that night felt to me like it could have been the best stadium anywhere in the world because our players had to step up and play hard. We got the lead, and we really wanted to hang on to the lead in the second half. And the next thing you know, our fans aren't cheering just to cheer. They are almost willing the players to defend well for 45 minutes. And, again, I I think that's a unique experience to just ask for your fans, 20,000 people, to, to create an energy, to get your players up for an energy, to not even try to go to score, but to try to deny a goal. And everybody loved it. And by far, to me, that's been my favorite experience at Allianz so far because I think, I truly believe that that night, that atmosphere could have been easily any big European club in the world. The way the game was, the way the game went on the field, but even more importantly, how the fans and, and our community interacted with that game and how we felt afterwards. So... Um, Certainly, certainly, you're right. I, I think there's there's a lot of people coming to Allianz Field now, and everybody around the country is leaving. This is one of the best atmospheres in soccer and the history of soccer. And we, we've got to blink as Minnesotans to think about that. Like five years ago, and I love Blaine. Our training facilities up here. We have this, uh, you know, proud old stadium that we played, you know, second division soccer in the NSL National Sports Center, Blaine. Yeah. Yeah. And now 
in five years, we're playing at the best stadium in the country with the best fans, with, I think, like I said, when I say best, I think the coolest and, and just, it's, it's undescribable. I, I'm truly in awe of, of what's shifting, what's happening here. I get the sense that you really don't take it for granted because, because you have been through so many of the tribulations leading to this point, right? Yeah, I, I don't think you take it for granted because it, it's very hard to, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you said it right there. I, I can't take right. it for granted because w- we've had a couple moments where we thought soccer was going to, professional soccer was going to leave here. We did lose it in the 70s for a little bit. Uh, we lost outdoor soccer in the 80s with the strikers, and we had some pretty good ownership groups there. So th- those were big hits, I think, for this community. And then, obviously, the grassroots building of the Thunder up to what it is now, to me, is part of the story. It's a part of the legacy, and I, I really give this current ownership group this amazing credit for really – taking the story of soccer and taking the legacy and saying, this is why we're here today. This is why the fans believe this. And and this is why I think we're one of the more special clubs in MLS is because um, we really embrace our legacy. And and I think there's some great new clubs in the MLS, and I really am proud of what they do. I don't think they have the legacy of what we're doing. So I, I think we have got an advantage there. When you talk about embracing the legacy, part of embracing the legacy, Manny, is bringing you on board and keeping you as part of this this franchise. I mean, to be honest with you, because that you are a huge part of, of the soccer legacy. Your whole family is. And so for them to kind of recognize that and 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 give you such a prominent role with this club don't you think that that was well i i hope it's on the merit of you know when i was both the sporting director and head coach i i felt like i was very successful we won a couple championships you know i had one of the best records uh in the second division and and in all of mls in terms of coaching and then also doing that dual role and, and where i would say i i just to me i feel humbled and have such humility about being able to be a part of this club in, in this era right now. And and the reality for me is that, you know, the, the, I serve the club hopefully for the good of Minnesota, just like I know a future staff and people will. And it, it's it's just something very, very similar to the stadium opening and how good that is. It's surreal to think about, you know, it's it's been a long time since I've played pro soccer, but uh, that after my career and as you navigate your next phase in life, and it's never easy, and I, I always say this to anybody who's been a former pro player, um, it's always going to be hard, even though they have this great confidence that you're ready because you've done so well at the highest level of whatever pro sport you're playing. I don't care who you are, the biggest superstar, it's still a transition. And to now be in this position where I'm I'm allowed to kind of work uh, at a level I work at where I feel very confident, I feel like I've had years of experience both playing, I've had years of experience coaching, I've had years of experience now in the front office. It's I just feel humbled. I, I just feel very, very lucky to be a part of the club and be part of at least trying to give my energy and my vision of what uh, this club can be now and in the future. Um, just I super super humbled and and glad to be a part of it. You're a good player though, weren't you? I mean, I you did all right. Yeah. You know, I did all right. You know, I I I one of the nice things about my career is I I feel like um, you know I had some really nice successes. You know, I won three MLS championships. I played in the Olympics in Barcelona. Played with the U.S. national team. Won an Open Cup uh, supporter shield. Uh, so the bunch of championships, but my my biggest kind of thing I like to talk about is is just the resiliency of my career adversity I had to go through. I had some a couple of really bad knee injuries that that I missed out in some World Cup. So I never got really got to participate in a World Cup. You missed out on two World Cups. Well, I'd oh. say ninety four had an injury going to that World Cup. Ninety eight had an injury going into that World Cup. Two thousand two, um, 
a little bit later. So I'm around, you know, I was, I was in the roster on the cut line, getting older. I'll be honest. I, yeah. think, I think I deserve to be cut. My legs were dying a little bit. And I was post a really bad knee injury after that World Cup. So I, I think um, it was probably uh, a tough cut for me not to make the 2002 World Cup. But to me, that looking back, you know, you the career is these, uh, you have to climb these mountains. And, you know, when you're in the thick of it, you think once you climbed a mountain, you're there and that's it and you're done. Um, and basically every every year was a new mountain and I had a couple of really tough injuries, ACL, LCL, uh, patellar tendon. And I had, I won two of my championships after an MLS, after those major injuries. So for me, um, uh, I look back at the mountains I had to climb and I'm, I'm more grateful now for the challenges to, to kind of have a good career and, and more grateful, I think, than maybe if it had been a little bit easier. You what? Know? And, well, how many teams did you did you play? Can you remember them all? Yeah, I can remember all. There's a lot. There's a lot. So uh, the first one we started with the Minnesota Thunder right here in Minnesota yep. in the early 1990s. Uh, and then I played for a, a team in Spain called Lerida, second division team. Lerida? Lerida. L-E-R-I-D-A. It's oh, in between okay. Zaragoza and Barcelona. She- now, where this gets confusing is the, there's a Catalan name, which is Lerida, L-L-E-I-D-A. Um because they speak Catalan and Spanish. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, no, because yeah. I'm fluent in of Catalan, course, so when you throw, when you throw yeah. out the other one, that's what tripped me up, yeah. yeah. Uh, a team in uh, France called Clermont-Ferrand, okay? I was very young. Um, I love my European experience, particularly living there, but... Because, uh, oh, oh, my gosh, all the things you can get into li- yeah. as, a, as, a, as a young <laughs> athlete living abroad, right? This is pre-internet, too, so it was a little bit different. <laughs> a little safer, so. probably. Um, yeah, and then I came back and I, I started uh, MLS for a little over ten years, and I played in New York. I played Cosmos, or no? Uh, that at the was... time, it was called the Metro Stars. Okay, yeah, and now they're called the Red Bulls. So yeah, okay, Metro so Stars, New York, New York, New Jersey Metro Stars. Yeah, um, and then were you with, which, with Columbus? After that, I was in Chicago. Then yep. now the defunct Tampa Bay Mutiny. Okay. And then San Jose Earthquakes. That's where I I really had a couple really good years in San Jose. I won two of our three MLS championships there. We had a great record at home. I was part of a veteran group that also brought in Landon Donovan. That was his big first pro kind of club. He did play in Germany for a little bit, uh, but that really, it was enjoyable for me to kind of be at the the end of my career uh, and then just kind of participating against this obviously young superstar that we all knew was going to kind of become one of the best American players ever. So that was a a fun time for me. And then I finished up in Columbus. That's uh, where you ended. Yeah. With the yeah. crew. With the crew. We won a supporter shield in 2004. And I my I started to get some residual knee injuries in 2005. And uh, I called That's it quits then. Yeah. So, you got you to gotta hang yeah. up the cleats at that point. So it was about 15 years. So, well, yeah. don't you? I was talking about this earlier. Like, don't you think like uh, crew is just kind of a, I mean, I don't, you're not going to, you're not going to blast, you're not going to put anybody on blast. But like, if you had to pick like the worst M, uh, just beyond MLS, right? It could be USL, it could be NASL, it could be. It, what is the worst team team name that you've ever come across? Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't, like, well, do you know what I'm saying? And, I, and yeah. just and yeah, knowing, let, knowing that it's just the name, you're not because you, you know probably yeah. all the people on all the teams. Yeah. So, it's just, but like over the years, and it could be a defunct team. But like, what is the what is a what is a team name that you just well, roll your eyes at? Let me just try to get this done a little bit politically in a, in a good way and saying like when MLS first started uh, it was right around the 94 World Cup there was like an idea of we're going to have the World Cup here we're going to start to get soccer kind of rejuvenated since the 1970s and they're going to kind of put this major league in 
the J League in Japan had just done the same thing. And so a lot of the teams and a lot of the marketing, I think, um, kind of had a, a feel of, of like Japanese cartoons and had a feel of like we have to market to American families and American kids. Okay. And I so I think there's some some early teams in MLS and their branding and their marketing. Um I, I think had more of that thing to it. And if you look lately, Minnesota United for example, Los Angeles Football Club, uh the rebranding of Sporting KC and you look at the logos and the the kind of vibe of those clubs. It's more about the community and the than the fans and about who we are. Yeah. As opposed to uh these branding and nicknames. So this is a long story of saying, this is a long way of saying, um, I, I think you've got some legs to your criticism of certain teams, maybe that you mentioned and, and their names. So with, with, <laughs> with that said, I mean, you've got an awesome one. You've, you've got the, you, you've got the logo to end all logos with that loon. And, uh, and so stoked when you guys were able to keep it into the MLS incarnation. Um, don't you think that the brand that you guys are, are putting forth right now, aren't you awfully proud of it? Oh, so proud. So I'm going to give yeah. you a good deep dive story in a second, but let's talk about our logo first. First yeah. of all, it's insane. The loon. Yeah. I was just up at a cabin this weekend. I love loons. I insanely, you know. Yeah. My wife, not from here, thinks they're by far the coolest bird ever as well. Uh, we have 11 feathers, represents 11 players in the field. Then you've got that blue strip uh, that represents the Mississippi River, St. Paul, Minneapolis. And then one of the coolest things that, that we talk about is the gray. The gray yeah. represents the iron range, the steel, the, the grit, the resilience of, of, of essentially if people go back, the history of Minnesota, our real wealth came from 75% of all uh, metal came from the iron range at one point uh, and you know, came through the, uh, the Great Lakes. So, um, so many cool things about the logo uh, that I love. I, I love telling the story that I was lucky enough to be in a lot of the meetings, kind of designing them and people way smart about my pay grade and, and we all these different designs, and I loved all of them. I was like, oh, my God, that's cool. Oh, my God, that's cool. And I just remember Dr. McGuire being there, and, and you know, we, we had a really, really good design company work on the the logo, Zeus Jones, and they, they were awesome. It's, like, just crazy talented people and just putting out so many cool storytelling boards to kind of get this going. I just remember Dr. McGuire being like, well, if we turn the bird like this, and then instead of having it look like a shield, we actually turned it, and the bird came out of the shield. And the next thing you know, there it was. And yeah. it was just like, it was unbelievable. And it was so clean and so sleek. And the fact that you can take the loon out of the logo and put in different stuff, uh, it, was, it was really impressive. And to me, um, it, it set the bar. I think it changed the league in terms of how they look at logos. And a couple of years later, you look at LAFC's logo. This is where I'll do my deep dive. Yeah. Um, it's not really that much like ours, but it's got these feathers that come out a little bit. Right. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting because it uh, was. It's not just. This is not like a, just a local praise of this of this logo. This is no. this is like widely renowned among the of the league and and the nation as Correct. one of the as one of the better shields. Period. Yes, yes. Yeah. And we find out that the kid that designed LAFC's logo is a Minnesota native. Actually, went to my alma mater, SPA, St. Paul Academy. Awesome. He's insanely known for, by the way, doing designs. He works for Nike as well. He just did the, if you watched the World Cup last year, he did Nigeria's World Cup jerseys. He does uh, Paris Saint-Germain's. I just love the deep dive that um, somebody who has a love of Minnesota so much, I think there was some elements now that he took from our logo and he's used them uh, with other stuff, which I like. I so, so here you are. Sign a, of praise. A, a player and a good one at that, um, really good one at that. 
until the until the knees the knee um and then and then into a, into coaching which i which i know you embraced and loved and and now as as sporting director is the official title right and yeah. that's and that's a title that's common in the soccer world yeah, it is. I mean, it, it essentially is, is a GM, and I'm also called the chief soccer officer because I have a, a group of GMs throughout MLS that we, we kind of meet and try to strictly help create a competitive vision for MLS. Um, but essentially, the, the reason why I, I like the Ivy Sporting Director is because in, in the global world of clubs, we're, we're, you have more than just a first team. You know, you usually have a reserve team, and you have an academy of kids, and you potentially have a women's team. And, and all those things are things that we're actually working on. And, and right now we have an affiliate club in Madison uh, that we partner with. We have, you know, long-term planning of, of trying to become not just a great club in MLS, but becoming a global brand and a global club. And, and so I, I like talking to people about, you know, the sporting vision of the club uh, is why I'm called the sporting director. Yeah. Because we've got so many components of what we're going to need to do Um in the next, you know, five to 10 years to really grow this club to, I think, being a great global brand. And that starts with being competitive on the field. It starts with putting a great product in the field. And, and one of the things in this country that is important, MLS is growing and we are definitely a top 10 league in the world. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Uh, but to well, really- Well, you know that by the players you're getting. I yeah. Mean, the quality yeah, just yeah, keeps going yeah. up and up and it's Correct. just, it's hard to deny anymore, it is. right? It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and, but to really break into the top five or six clubs, it, it's a huge, huge financial shift now because, yeah. you know, uh, the, the highest paid athlete in the world of any sport right now is Messi made $93 million salary last year, <laughs> not even sponsorship salary. So that we, we still have a, a big way to go to get to be one of the top five leagues in the world. And to me, um, Part of what's going to happen in MLS is we're going to have to continue to generate revenue, uh, both from new TV deals, you know, keeping the stadiums full, uh, keeping sponsorship, loving the atmosphere, loving being a part of our uh, good club partners. And the last one is going to be through just player development and player movement. Um, it doesn't have to be player development. It might even be player movement. But somehow we have to get involved in the billion-dollar global transfer market to kind of start to generate revenue to get to the levels of these of these leagues that we really want to get to. And it's a huge challenge, but I, I love our challenge right now. I love the fact that uh, MLS has a, has a league that's run really well, that players want to come to, uh, superstars want to come to them, young kids want to come to it now. I love that within our league we've got this, you know, Minnesotan team that – you know, when when we recruit, it's it's so funny because I guarantee you that this would resonate with any company uh, in Minnesota that's trying to recruit globally. It, it always starts out as a challenge, like where, what, how cold is in the winter time, and then you start to kind of you know talk to them about it or show them the, your your deck or show them the quality of life or school or or even you know you know the balance of young people can have such an awesome experience whether it's music, sports, culture, and it's I love it like we we really do back up our talk with the quality of life here like and I, like I said it, it makes a massive difference as we try to recruit all around the world and so for me all of those components is why I know MLS is on a trajectory to be one of the top five leagues in the world yeah yeah it's 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 obvious now yeah. where where some other pro leagues are really really struggling and and MLS is clearly I mean just statistically and revenue and everything else is obviously on the upswing. I, I, you touched on the global game, and it kind of made me think of a couple of things. First of all, I want to ask you about the the Women's World Cup uh, that recently wrapped up. God bless USA. 
how awesome was that a and b um so much of the of the story moving forward now is the disparity in in the money between the the women's game and the men's game what are your thoughts on on that and and well the first is i mean congratulations to women you know i i right? think the the their world cup run this tournament to me was the most impressive they've ever had and and i not to, to take it away from when they won the world cup in canada but i actually think they were favored in both but played much better in this world cup i thought they were dominant throughout the tournament i thought they every game they grew as a team every game they they absorbed criticism which great teams have to do mm-hmm. uh and they seem to galvanize to to play better each time because of it yeah um and then i i really uh I want to give a shout out to Rose Lavelle, our Madison girl, which I kind of sometimes take the Midwest and get excited about. I thought she was one of the players of the tournament. Um, and and it, it's really a cool, cool experience to see that team and, and see our country get excited about it. I, I, I believe, you know, the, the excitement of, of women's soccer is only going to grow, but I also think they're going to find uh, after the World Cup the same challenges the men did at, at one point where how do you keep it relevant? How do you keep the league growing? How do you keep the media engaged? And, and certainly to me... Um, when it's not a World Cup year. When it's year. not a World Cup year, yeah. exactly. And and I think this helps. It's only going to help. And, and then when it, it comes to the money side of it, I, I think the dynamics and challenges is probably similar in, in some other sports between men and women in that in soccer right now, the men make most of their money uh, through club soccer. Uh, we pay the salaries of, of our players and our players get compensated really really well now they don't make as much as when they go to their national team um that balance is not quite the same with the women the women uh, really for their their livelihood need their their club soccer money and they also uh you need to be supported by the national team to keep that level in the product that we've done to win so i, I think they've got to address it i think they've got to navigate the best way that they think to continue to grow the women's league which is a big piece of hopefully growing their salary there and, and getting more that they deserve. And then also the national team program. I'm, I'm sure if you talk to most soccer people, um, you want them to feel supported and, and feel like they're compensated fairly. And I, I really hope that as they go through their next round of their their own CBA, uh, that they feel emboldened as, as winning and as these viewerships and, and hopefully the revenues are coming in. Uh, that they're compensated appropriately. Yeah, the, you also talked about. I know you played internationally. You mentioned that in in Spain and in France, you were anchored down and and, uh, and were able to have some great experiences over there. But but through your years, uh, and especially nowadays, when you're when you're on the prowl for players or or transfers or deals and you're you're literally canvassing the entire globe because this is such a global sport you like how often do you have to just up and go to south america or whatever or or morocco or wherever you go i don't know you know like how how often and how big of a uh of a part of your job is that it's a big part of it i mean the last three years or five years really a, a lot more um then maybe the next two to three years, although I predict that, and I'm sure I'll travel just as much. But the the roster really, we, we talked about a three-year plan of trying to build this roster, partly because we didn't have the resources to say we're just going to 100% invest in the roster, and we had to invest in the stadium. We had to invest in a franchise fee. And, and I really always tell this story about uh, you know building a roster in MLS uh, if you're building a $250 million stadium and $100 million into the MLS franchise, all privately funded, has to be done smart because you have to, to, to build and allow your ownership group 
to absorb the challenges of raising funds, of generating revenue, to compete in the global market to go buy and sell players. And I, I think our roster is at a point now where we feel pretty good about where we are from our cap standpoint. We feel pretty good about the product of the field. We, we feel much healthier that we by adding pieces, it's going to get us better um, year in and year out. So early on, there was a lot of surveillance trips to say like somewhere like Argentina, Uruguay, uh, France, Scandinavia, Africa, um, all over. And then combined that with a, a lot of trips to then really start to like hone in and try to find players that made sense. Obviously now um, we are at a point where we've really started to strategically build out what our next five years from a scouting department looks like. We have to do a whole world. And we, we've got a great staff now. Our, our, our head technical director, Amos McGee, is our head scout. Um, we now have global scout network around the world that help us do the scouting oh, that great. are part of this you know in different continents and, right. and it's only every phase it only gets better um, and we also have a massive data analytics department now which also starts to really help us filter how we and when we travel having said that th there's nothing more valuable than going and getting to a market and understanding the level um, seeing the player live creating networks and contacts so that Again, I say this: all these teams that are similar to us, where they may or may not want to sell their best players, yeah. uh, they may or may not have contract issues to, to have them come and go. So, it, it's a big part, I think, of where the roster is now. But it's going to be an even bigger part of the future because ultimately, finding value uh, in this insanely competitive global market is super tough. It, it really is. And you know, again, there are, there are some leagues in this world that, frankly, we can't quite compete with it for financially, but. Uh, there's a lot of leagues in this world that now we are a destination um, and it's going to be vital for us in Minnesota, especially in this market where we have to be kind of, I would say, really nimble in terms of how we find our value and maximize it um, because there's some teams that just spend and they don't they don't maybe have the same um, margins for error that we have. But again, enjoyed it. It's been great. You, because you have to be so focused on the future <laughs> like and and and. And so macro in your focus, oftentimes. So are you able to just like literally just flat out enjoy what's happening on the field this year? I'm like, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, are you constantly thinking like three steps ahead? And I, I can I can tell you right now, I don't have the answer to that because I still don't understand that we're in Minnesota when the games happen. Funny. Like I I literally seriously still for two hours feel like I'm somewhere else. Like I I'm still in this this like kind of haze of. This I leave really, and I know I drive home and it's only a 10, 10 minute ride <laughs> it's really home. Happening, but like Manny. when you're there, it 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 and by the way, the Minnesotans, all of them are, have created that environment. It's it's truly Minnesotan. But for some reason, um, I haven't been able to absorb. Uh, I think in the moment, what's going on? Do you watch uh, the games from Doctor McGuire's box or where are you? No, where are you I, watch the I, game? I have a technical box where we watch the, the games. Technical box. And, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, yes, I do get I do get visited by Doctor McGuire. Do you, do you have plush chairs in the no, technical no, box? No, 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 no. We're, we're, Are you we're standing or what are you doing? No, no, we have, we have seats. Okay, so there we're it's 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 fine and it's I want it to be simple. I don't want anything nice and fancy. I just want to be able to sit and and really look at the game and try to experience it. Uh, do, do you stress out? Very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm, like I said, we we're here with the guys all week. They train hard. They work hard. You know, the the games. Uh, you know, means so much when you're yeah. trying to win and get to the playoffs. And one of my favorite things that like you brought up, Dr. McGuire, he does come and, and sit with us sometimes and I, I enjoy it. You know, he, he, he's there, uh, watching, um, as somebody who loves and is passionate about the sport and, you know, it's, it's trying to absorb, 
the the special fans and, and environment, but he's clearly also there to kind of absorb uh, what we're doing there, which is a working day to really watch the game and, and try to assess where we are and what's going on. So, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've really pleasantly become uh, surprised at how much uh, all of our owners, but especially Doc McGuire, has, has not only fallen in love with the sport over the six years I've known him, but he just wants to absorb every single detail and every single, single thing about the sport. So That's whether, cool. whether it's our game or any big game, he'll always be watching it. He'll, if there's something on TV for him to learn about the sport, he'll be watching it. So cool. So cool to have yeah. that from the top. Yeah. Um, Manny Lagos, thank you for, for this time. Thank you for your ambassadorship, your, your, just the way you've kind of like brought this game to, to forward to so many of us um, in this, in this land of 10,000 Lagos uh, <laughs> and, 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 and your dad as well. I don't want to understate what he has meant to you and your career and, and your life. So thank, thank you so much and go loons, right? Let's go. I mean, we've got a, a, a big uh, second half of the season here to really, I think, um, you know, have some serious adversity pushed at us because there'll be some big stressful games to, to try to see make that playoff push. But um, no, again, I, I think this group has, has shown some nice resilience the first half of the year. Um, I think we're going to try to add a few pieces in the transfer window, hopefully help give us a little bit more depth and, and maybe a few spots where, uh, you know, can be competed for a starting spot. And then we go from there. And anybody, uh, like I said, we, we I know this has been very Allianz-centric, but it should be. Uh, it is surreal, by the way. I'll say it a hundred times. We have the nicest stadium in the country. Like, that is, I would say, on in this hemisphere – you're biased, but I hear people that no, are no, no. It, you it, are, you it, are because because of where you come from. But but I do, I hear it when when it really echoes for me is when I hear it from the 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 people that aren't from Minnesota yeah. that are saying the same thing you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could argue maybe LAFC's, you know, it's got a, their fan base is pretty good, but I, their stadium I don't feel is is as cool as ours. So again, I'm saying that, but I'm also saying that to our Minnesota Minnesotans that like it's surreal to me. It, it's amazing that I could never imagine five years ago. A, being an MLS, B, having such support every single game, and then C, just, just having the stadium that we can all be so proud of. The future's bright. I like it. All right. Thanks, Manny. Cheers. And that wraps it up. Thank you so much for listening to Perk at Pod on zonecoverage.com. Be sure to follow them on all social media platforms. They're doing some amazing things here at this space. I'm telling you what, some really smart people up in this building for sure. And follow me on all social media platforms as well, if you will, uh, from Instagram to YouTube to Twitter, Facebook. You can usually find me at Perk at Play, one word. Find out what he'll say. Perk Sometimes he's amply. Perk.